Where do I start to make this environment even better? Turn the bedroom into a safe sanctuary. We spend uh, about a third of our life in there. And the time we spend is when our body's repairing while we sleep. So at least, you know, start there. Make that the healthiest space you can in your whole house. And it might be simple things, getting rid of synthetic beds, getting organic beds, getting organic bedding, taking care of the electromagnetics. You can shut it off at night, making a floor that's cleanable, getting rid of clutter. Welcome to Talk Design Show, where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey, your host. And having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening and please enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Paula Baker-Laporte. Paula is an architect from Oregon and her company is EcoNest Architecture. Now she has an absolute specialty which is in building biology. And that goes beyond her own projects to consulting, et cetera, et cetera. With this, this area of building biology, it's something I'm truly fascinated by. And I think it's something that's like a missing link. It's like being an archaeologist. And when you dig this stuff up, you can't ignore it. It changes the course of how you think and what you do. So Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Adrian. I'm really excited about this. Um, as I said, like building biology, it seems to be this, I would say emerging, but it's certainly, it's, it's more like it's been, it's been opened up again, the discovery of it, because it's uh, only because we've sort of walked away from so many things in our lives and, or in the ecosystems and gone down, I suppose, unsustainable routes that we end up coming back to basics and looking at what really makes a difference. Um, you are based in Oregon, as I said. Tell me a little bit about how, so you studied architecture. Let's do that little bit first. And then how building biology kind of got in the way of your whole career and became mm-hmm. this fascination. And, um, you know, as I said to you earlier before we started, you know, it really settled in your heart and it became something that you couldn't ignore or couldn't turn away from. So how did the architectural journey start? Okay, well, I um, moved from Toronto, where I was educated, down to New Mexico. And unbeknownst to me, I moved into a building that made me sick. And in my whole edge thinking back and my whole education as an architect, the words health and architecture were never used in the same sentence. And um, so suddenly I found that a building had made me sick. And I began to research, well, how can I make myself better? Poor me, I can't be an architect anymore because I can't go on job sites because they're so toxic. And then one day it hit me like a bolt of lightning that if they're so toxic for me, what about the people who are going to be living in these homes? What about everyone else? So I read everything there was uh, published. Was there a a lot? Was there a lot? It was a very short read. Yeah, there, there was Got that one, done in an afternoon. <laughs> there was one person working in this field at that time. And then, and, you know, it was basically 
you build a conventional home and you seal up, you seal up the walls so the toxins don't get in. And that just didn't, it never, that did not pull at my heartstrings. And then I heard about something called Baubiology, which is the What's German. Baubiology, Baubiology is the German, what, is, what it was called in Europe at that time and still uh, because this whole science evolved out of um, Germany. Uh, shortly after World War II, uh, a lot of factories were turned into peacetime use. So mm-hmm. they used all those great new chemicals that were invented to impregnate mm-hmm. building materials. And a lot of people got sick in Germany. So, right. so, so big companies that, um, as you say, there was a chemical revolution you know, that the war created. Better um, living through chemistry, yeah. Yeah. And so then that became this thing where they noticed, obviously, their population and they took like a, a state or a, a nationwide stance on it or how did that happen? Well, a group of a uh, really uh, multi-background group came together from various disciplines. There were was doctors, there was a wood engineer, there were architects. There were concerned parents or sociologists, ergonomists. They all came together and said, what makes a living environment healthy? Mm. Now, in, in Europe, they had the advantage in that they had buildings that had survived for hundreds of years and mm-hmm. continued to be occupied. We didn't have that advantage in North America, so we we're a little slower to learn. But if I can summarize they came up with 25 principles. And if I can summarize it in one poignant sentence, uh, I would say that building biology realized that nature itself is the gold standard for a healthy human environment. How's that, eh? Just look outdoors and you may be right in the right spot. So they really looked at nature and you know, the Germans are very scientific and they mm-hmm. analyzed it. And so what in natural air, how does nature heat us? How does um, shelter work in nature? Um, and that was the real basis and inspiration. They looked at electromagnetic fields in, in nature and then what man-made interference does to that. And what they were looking at just pales compared to what we've done now um and when was that study done sort of in the in the 50s or the 60s early 60s early 60s 60s. yeah right and and then the information was translated and brought to north america in the 1980s by a man called helmut zihe and he was my mentor and who i um turned to and read all of his english translations and so that was the start of it for me I didn't understand everything, but then once we built our, my first home, according to the principles mm-hmm. of building biology, I, it was, I had a big aha in that I realized that most of what's done in the name of health is removing toxics, so not poisoning us, but a building can actually nurture our health when it follows the principles of nature. And so that's what turns my crank and gets me out there teaching and speaking and writing when I really, you know, most architects just want to sit and draw. Well, yeah, I love the piece that, you know, make, makes my hair stand on end when you said that was, you know, it can nurture your health. 
a building actually can become part of your health ecosystem that nurtures your health and, and brings wellness as opposed to the thing that's actually interrupting it. And, yeah. and you know, as you said, when you discovered that, you went, oh, there's no turning back now. Yeah, we, we had talked about food a little bit. And, yeah. you know, you can eat a Twinkie or you can eat some organic spinach that you've grown in your backyard with soil that you've nurtured. And mm -hmm. the outcome is going to be different for your health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's that what we put in and what we surround ourselves with, you know. And I suppose, tell me when, when like the, the, the building can nurture your health. So do most, I'm trying to think of the right way to ask this question, do most people come to the recognition or the want of building biology to be a part of their system because they come from a health challenge or do they come because they don't want a health challenge? You know, where are we on the education piece here? You know, is it like you, you got, it made you sick um, yeah. and so in it making you sick, then you go, oh, hold on a second. Um, and, and how did you recognize it made you sick? <laughs> That's a bit of a story. I, um, <laughs> I lived in a building that had high chemicals in it, but especially formaldehyde. And one right. of the things formaldehyde does is uh, really wreaks havoc on your lungs. You know, it, it goes in and destroys lung architecture. And so I was getting repeated pneumonia, pleurisy, over and I was I was eating healthy. I was exercising. Ten years later, after many many doctors and no answers, I was doing a house for a doctor, and she realized that she was chemically sensitive. We'd never heard the term before. How did she realize? One of her patients filled her in, recognized her symptoms, and told her what was happening. Because, like me, there was nothing in her medical education yeah. that would have warned her. And she said, Paula, we've got to do this house differently. And like, like the architect I was, I was kicking and screaming. She dragged me into this kicking and screaming. <laughs> and um, I've never looked back. <laughs> that to say, and thank God for her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. So then with that, with chemical um, sensitivity, as you say, like it was like a whole new genre that had never, the door had never been opened to you before on. Um, what was what was your sort of like when you and you said you were dragged in kicking and screaming? What was the resistance or what was the path that you know sort of the doors that opened and the and the path that appeared? What what happened there? The kicking and screaming was about I'm an architect. I use materials to make space, and um, I'm not really that interested in what I use. Um, and then what opened up really for both of us is we found there was an incredible um, service to be performed, a need, because somehow word got out that there was a doctor and an architect working together to make healthier homes. And we were barraged by phone calls. It wasn't email back then. And we thought, okay, well, we know a lot. Let's write a book. Wow. And, and, all you have to do is try to write a book. And that was the beginning of my education. I was about to say, that's when you realize how little you really know. Or all yes. the, gaps, the gaps in your knowledge. Yeah. yeah. So at this point in time, 30 years later, I'm now um, deeply embroiled in the fourth edition of that book. So that has been 
my um, career-long uh, journey sidekick, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, how fantastic! So, by the way, we will you know put all the um, things up about the book so that the audience can you know purchase the book, find it, read it, do it, and embody it into their work as well. Like so that people can be. My aim is 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 how how much of this education can we spread? How much can we bring this to the forefront and make building set nurture? Like yes. Build, building set are designed to nurture, not yes. just building set are designed to be lived in or to look pretty on the side of the hill or whatever. Because we can do all that as well. Yes. Mm. Um yeah we can we can do it all. But I'll tell you um magazines don't mean that much anymore because um un until they become absolutely realistic scratch and sniff uh you can't you know you can't tell what's going on in a building or how you feel it's it's a visceral experience so um you know we're talking about really we have to talk about two things parallel one and much of the the books are dedicated to how to not hurt yourself mm -hmm. and then for the small audience that's interested go deeper into building biology. And the biggest educational tool we have for that is opening our doors. So people come and they feel and they see, and it's, um, so they know they're doing something different. So let's go to that because, um, you know, something that I do is I love to go and um, do experiential study. I don't really like reading tons of books and stuff like that, but being around people that are doing things and being able to discuss it and be tactile is my learning genre, you know. So we're always looking for um, the way that we learn easiest and also that embeds it the deepest, you know, like that's the that's the part. And I, I look at this at field and I go, so how do you learn? How do you learn more and how do you do it tactically? How do you do it? so that it's um, real. And I know that between you and your husband, you do a lot of this. So tell us about that, if you would. That'd be really fabulous. Yes. Well, um, would you like the story on how I met Robert? Oh, um, yeah, you bet we um, would. <laughs> okay. I studied the building biology material. Um, and then even though I was living in Santa Fe, where we had a lot of natural materials available to us, I was very fortunate. I'd never experienced a building that put it all together. And then I read an article about this guy called Robert Laporte who taught natural building. And I put down the article and called him up and said, where's your next workshop? And off I went uh, to experience firsthand because he understood building biology too. He had been to Germany and met one of the founders of building biology, Dr. Schneider. And um, that left a lifelong impression on how he did his work. As a builder. Yes. So he was a uh, uh, timber framer by trade. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't know if it means the same thing in Australia, but it's true mortise and tenon joinery with pegs, yeah. Yeah. no nails. And uh, he loved There's not that. many of those left. Yeah. Well, it's a reviving thing. Yeah. There's, uh, but he loved the craftsmanship. And he loved doing that. And then as soon as the frame was finished, he had to surround it typically was um, stress skin panels with foam and press board. And he went dead. 
So he thought there has got to be a better way to build. I'm living in Iowa where there's clay everywhere. So he studied uh, where in Europe do they have a tradition of building with clay to, to learn. And that was how he came across building biology and Anton Schneider, who left a deep impression on him. So I saw what he was doing and I realized he needed an architect. Uh, He didn't realize it as quickly as I did, but that was 30 years ago and it's water under the bridge. And you just, you thought you'd help him out. I did. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, and you can see the result of that collaboration on the, um, I sent you some links yeah. to, for, we've written a couple of books on our work specifically together, and there's all kinds of links to the website. So you can see what that's about. So people come and they work with natural materials and they, they love it. And some people have gone away from that and built homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people have gone away from that and changed their building careers. Um, and, and hopefully both happen with you know the more people that we can get that's that's the outcome of the of that is education and then whether they build their own home or somebody else's home or yeah they just they just shift the dial so that it becomes something that uh, is intrinsically part of the, the journey mm-hmm. with with that um you you run the courses mm-hmm. and obviously we're in a pandemic covid now um with that what what how 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 do you still educate or are you able to still educate because you know you made the comment before about how actually being there touching it being visceral with it you know what what's how are you coping with that currently what's what's the go I, uh, my favorite part of, we used to teach the building biology classes for the Building Biology Institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I have a lot of natural buildings um, that are, are built. And my favorite day of that course was taking people on a tour. And most of the people who attend this course, these courses are from parts of the country where they've never seen anything besides sheetrock, wall-to-wall carpeting. And so it's, uh, it, that's a very important you know, to see that it can be done is great. So now we're teaching online. uh, And the downside is we don't have that experience. But the upside is that people can join in from all over the world without facing horrendous travel to get to us. So I've enjoyed that. Um, I've gotten used to to knowing people as one inch tall faces. (laughs) developed a little more sense of humor around what we're, we're, we're trying to do. But so there's, uh, you know, as with everything, there's an upside and a downside. So from you teaching online, has it sparked any other um, like physical places that people around the globe that people could go and do this, you know, with um, maybe students or whatever? I know Zara Dakota, who introduced us, um, Zara, um, she had went recently to a hempcrete um, building um, course where she mixed hempcrete herself. And uh, I have some friends here. Zara's locked on another side of a border to me. She's locked in New South Wales at the moment. She can't come here. But I have friends here who um, are rammed earth specialists. Wonderful. 
they're going to be running some courses on that. And Zara's like, just make sure we're unlocked. I'm coming to I'm coming to Pound Earth as well. You know, I want to do that as well. But yeah, that kind of thing where uh, these guys, like the, the rammed earth specialists, are not building biologists, though they don't necessarily understand all the other elements of it. So yeah, one it, element right might be one thing, but all elements right might be a completely different story. Yeah, it's a natural fit. Um, you know, there's a, a whole movement in this country of people who are taking care of their health. It's the what we call the whole foods crowd here. I don't know if sure, whole foods is whole fit. Foods. Yeah. yeah. And if they only knew that they could find that expression in their homes, that their homes could nurture their health every <clears> day, <throat> boy, um, there'd be this movement. There'd be no stopping it. Well, Jeff. Bezos owns Amazon. He can tell everybody about it. He can even package it and send it to them. So uh, <laughs> that they, the flow-on effect for you think in, in business sense like that, you think of the flow-on effect. He, he does own Whole Foods, you know, he owns, um, he bought that. And um, I mean, there's others like, you know, Trader Joe's and stuff like that. We don't have Whole Foods in Australia, but you know, a lot of people here travel, so they know what it is. But yeah, he actually sits at the top of a vehicle that um, it can be another arm to his educational process. You know, he can get stuff to people in 24, 48 hours, you know, um, probably more effectively than any other human on the planet right now, yeah, which is true. incredible. Um, and so, so to be able to deliver something based on this, that he already has a vested interest in the organic health side or health side of business. Um, mm -hmm. It would be another big portion of the population that it could wake up. It sure would be. You know, he just needs to build some natural whole food stores to start yeah, with. Yeah, right. True. <laughs> True. Actually start with your own infrastructure. Yeah, that would be wonderful. It, it's, that's a Patagonia type movement, you know, Patagonia, the clothing company. Sure they, do. Yeah. They very much, you know, that's very much their, their style of, everything's got to be right from the from the ground up but even on mass you know it's a beautiful journey mm. so if you go as an audience that um that probably is the first audience that understands you it would be the people who not the first audience sorry the, the, the secondary audience the first audience are the people who are searching and the people who want have a problem to solve or the people who don't want to end up with a problem to solve mm -hmm. that next audience which is the the greater one is you like you say your whole foods audience um and with them if they if if building biology can reach them and they can especially if they can physically experience it but if even if they can't physically experience it um if the story of building bio biology can reach them then it shifts on mass. It shifts people's demand. And when we shift people's demand, we actually, commerce has to take notice. That's, that's that point of having that's to take notice. Works, yeah. yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's legislative and it comes from the top, one or the other. But legislative from the top means class action suits. And, you know, how many years did, did it get them to um, sort of put some warnings on cigarette packets? You know, how exactly. Many billions yeah. of dollars, you know, before it became an issue. Yes. The lobbyists made sure that it works in a certain way. So, again, I don't know what the industry and in, in whole out there, 
um, being the product suppliers, you know, you, you've referred several times and before we started recording, we referred several times to, you know, that so much of this technology comes from Europe and so much of this um, understanding and education comes from Europe. Yeah. Why, why does Europe have it rather than us have it? Why? Yes, they've got older buildings and all the rest, but why did, why are they smarter than us? What happened? Why, why, why did they grow the brains and we didn't? Well, that's a, a good question. I think part of it is we don't have the same values. I'm a mad, I'm just going to guess for a minute that Australia yeah. is similar. It was a country founded on a, at least for the uh, settlers who came from other places that um, the supply of land and resources is unlimited. It's a, in our country, it's the go west young man syndrome where how long does someone live in a house maybe five years ten years it's a commodity it's a commodity and they sell it and uh european tradition there are homes that are passed on for generation and the, so that there is a higher value put on quality and longevity so that's a starting point yeah right because as you say like um there is a little a, a more limited amount of land and so that that's generational homes and generational properties. We call them here legacy properties. When I say we, uh, that's me and a few people I know, we go, how do we create a legacy property for a family? What, what does it take to do that? Yeah. yeah. And then you make, suddenly you're making another level of decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Europe had some hard lessons uh building biology one of the weird things i read that i didn't understand at all in fact i didn't understand a lot of it but built it anyhow you know my husband and i built it anyhow and then once we were in it i slowly began to understand the science and that that made me able to teach it but building biology says no vapor barriers so mm -hmm. if you're if you're building with standard frame construction um you know, the vapor barrier was the only thing we had to keep water out of the house. Yeah, sure. That horrible paper with a bit of silver sprayed on the back of it. So, yeah. So it's a big discussion. Are there smarter barriers now? Yes, there are. And with conventional construction, you need it. But how do you build a wall that doesn't need a vapor barrier? You build a wall that's massive enough and has enough hygroscopic capacity to take on any of the moisture conditions either generated inside or outside store it safely, and then shed it as conditions change. So it demands a different kind of uh, a wall. And almost, I haven't built or designed a conventional home in um, probably 20 years now and have only worked with alternatives. And, uh, you know, uh, the clay and straw, adobe, uh, something called pumicecrete, autoclave concrete, wood insulated concrete forms. Most, you know, a lot of these derived from Europe. I was lucky in Santa Fe that Adobe was a known and permitted process. Um, so there's much better ways to build, but some, they're, uh, they're, some, they're higher quality and they cost more and they last a lot longer. So, But then they're multi-generational, the legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Something you said in there was permitted. Um, Adobe was a, was permitted, you said, when you were talking about Santa Fe. Um, is this a big challenge when you're looking to build a, uh, let's say, a, a home that is um, 
closely attached or fully attached to its building biology, um, that materials may not be permitted for it or procedures may not be permitted or there isn't a broad enough community that understands the needs of or, or the construction methods, you know, engineers, you know, things like that. Tell me a bit about that. It's, it's always a challenge to pioneer anything. Or to, you know, and uh, something, it takes a long time to make change in a building code. Um, one of the things that, that I worked on for a long time was um, getting light straw clay construction into the, what we, the U.S. calls it the International Residential Code. It's the U.S. Residential Code. Uh -huh. So that was, um, you know, a huge miraculous step. I think we got in on the tailwinds of straw bale building there. Right. Uh, but um, now it's in the code. So once something's in there, it's in there. So light straw clay, is that like mud brick or is that, uh, explain that to me because to me it's sure. like you've just said something that I go, hmm, I could make a whole lot of assumptions about. <laughs> sure. If you look at the, um, the Econest homes specifically yep. the, that my husband has built and that are in that portfolio of mine are all made out of light straw clay. Light straw clay. So most of Europe, the old buildings are built out of heavy straw and clay. So mostly clay with a little straw and then um, usually stuffed in between a frame. The light straw clay um, adds a lot more straw to give the clay more, you know, to give the combination more insulative value. But every blade of straw is coated by clay, which gives it um, uh, the capacity to withstand moisture. So they marry together and uh, Robert developed a system of outsulation. So it was something to wrap his timber frames with. So it's built into a matrix and, um, you know, it ranges, you can range the density from 20 or even lighter uh, pounds a cubic foot. I don't know if that means anything up all the way up to 50 pounds a cubic foot. So you can put denser materials on the south where or maybe it's yeah, your north sure. i don't know where there's yeah. solar gain yeah. etc so it's um that's one system and that because that was the one we were as as involved in as we were um i worked on code for that one yeah right and as you say skated it in behind uh, straw bale and um, yeah. but once it's in the code it's in the code mm -hmm. and so having that in that code doesn't mean that every municipality will adopt it, but it's, it gives you some credentials. So, you know, we have built in, oh, 18 states, 19 states, and four provinces in Canada, code-approved permitted buildings. Um, so, that's bottom fantastic. line. That, that's, yeah. that's beyond exciting when you go, there's all these places that it can be done, and that, that there's you know, like proof of concept as such, you know, proof of concept of the building method, um, which means that, that yeah, obviously the more there are, the, the less resistance as you go further and further and the more educated people there are. When, yeah. you, when you live in a home that's built that way, tell me what the difference is there. What's, what's, what happens when you're living in a home that's built um, with... Yeah, like straw clay or, or you know, mud brick or um, straw bale or any of them. What what changes for the occupant 
um, in their maybe their day to day, but then go longer. You know, go to where it makes the difference, where the tipping um, points are. Yeah. Well, one of the unintended consequences is that um, if you get a vacation in a luxury hotel, you suffer because you're used to a certain quality of environment. But um, there's a saving in that. So I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Yes, there is some subtle things and some very um, in-your-face things. Huh? So an in-your-face in thing, uh, you know, electromagnetic radiation, there's now a whole body of people who um, are having a very difficult time finding anywhere to live because um, wireless is ubiquitous. Um, and so one of the, the a very simple thing that we do um, is turn off all the household wiring in the bedrooms at night and don't have Wi-Fi. Everything is hardwired. So those are, um, you know, the less subtle things that we do. But for someone who's electromagnetically sensitive, um, I can tell you a kind of touching story that happened to me. Mm. Um, she came to see me and, you know, we, we chose a site that isn't bombarded for starters and um, I took her into the bedroom and asked her to take off her shoes. Well, her shoes were left at the door, but take her socks yeah. off. And she was on our earth. We have an earth floor in there. Wow. And she stood on the earth floor. And then I, um, you pulled, the kill yeah. I pull pulled the kill switch and she started to cry because she hadn't... Um, she hadn't found an environment. That's what she was looking for. And she hadn't been able to find it. So that was a rewarding day. So, so when me. you're saying this, so you did earth her, like you, you, you literally, you know, earthed her to the, to the earth yes. um, through the earth floor. And that, that for her, did it, did it take away attention? Did it take, um, you know, did it, did it stop a headache? Did it stop? I'm, I'm trying to get, yeah. like, I get that she got an, a feeling and yeah. something shifted because otherwise she wouldn't have cried. But she must yeah. have felt it like it was like a, a tension coming off her or a. Well, when she got it, it was when I shut off the surrounding electricity. Yeah. And so some people are completely, I don't know if it's un, unaffected or asymptomatic. Yeah, as like. Asymptomatic yeah. or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, thank like, you, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, but she was one of these people who even just being in a home with normal household wiring and electric fields uh, coming, electric fields travel along the wiring of a home sure. and magnetic fields are present at certain places. Just by shutting that off, I think that what brought the tears was her body relaxed at a, yeah. because when, when you're that sensitive, it's like you're under attack all the time. So, um, so that's the non subtle things. So now mm. I'm going to talk about something really subtle um, that we have in nature all the time. And we take away from ourselves in most indoor environments, building biology talks about um, color and, uh, and, and then I've extended this to sound and pattern in nature compared to what we do indoors. So if you're in nature looking at color, you probably, uh, as an artist yourself, have seen if you pull any leaf or anything mm -hmm. and you're asked what color it is, especially the magnifying glass, you're going to see lots of uh, different tones, yeah. a lot of different colors combined in that sample. Mm -hmm. Now, when you paint a wall, 
you make it one monotonous color. Mm -hmm. If you plaster a wall with natural pigments, natural oxides, you're suddenly reproducing what nature does. And what is the effect? I think that, it, you know, looking at, at, we're not meant to look at, at monotone. Flat at, colors. At yeah. Flat colors. And so it enlivens us. So at best, a home is going to enliven you. What else does that plaster do? Well, it absorbs sound, especially if, you know, if you don't seal it, it absorbs sound. And um, you say unless if you, you don't, don't seal it. Yeah. At if all. you just, I don't seal my plaster. Right. And if you do seal it, you can use a natural sealer that will do keep these same qualities. Uh, but mm -hmm. I, I used to have a musician friend who would come and uh, entertain our Christmas party every year uh, because he liked the acoustics. He was gotcha. a total antisocial guy, but he liked the acoustics. Yeah. Um, and you don't realize that I realized that on the day I was moving from my first home I designed for myself, which was completely conventional except it was Santa Fe style. So it had certain things into my um, first building biology home. And at one point during the day, they were both empty and the old home had an echo in it and the new home absorbed the sound. So what does an echo do? What does um, the noise of a, a machine that's repetitive do? Mm. It's a stressor. So <laughs> these are very, very subtle things. Um, what does um, a plastic surface does? Well, ions mm -hmm. cling to it. And so it robs the air of that natural balance that we find in nature. So there's subtle things. Um, I didn't understand all this. We just did it and I felt good. And then I, you know, went you back said, to why do I feel good? And why do I feel good? It. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so something that came to me then was I used to um, design with um, DuPont. Um, um, what am I trying to say? What not DuPont? Um, well, let me think of it. Um, Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex. Gore so it's, it's not sure. a DuPont um, thing. But um, with Gore-Tex, and one of the biggest things that we struggled with was, you know, it was a very high-priced item. Um, but one of the things that happened in that journey is, is people struggle to associate the associate comfort over associating discomfort. So if I want you to buy a raincoat and Gore-Tex, all I have to do is send you out for a three-mile walk in a um, PVC jacket right and bring on. you back yeah. and then send you out in the Gore-Tex one and you come back and you're a different human being at the end yes. of both journeys, you know. And it's But to get you to purchase that without the experiential um, value of it is you're doing it on faith. Yes. Well, one of the things I love about, the architecture and you know building design and that world is is that you know clients are taking massive leaps of faith massive they're spending True. significant amounts of money um and they're leaping into a story and a construct that they believe about a method and a person or a group of people um so it's and being able to experience it isn't necessarily so immediate. I love that story you said about, you know, taking her in and, and being able to earth her and she could feel it. Mm -hmm. She could she could get, instantly feel it. When somebody gets that experience, that's the Gore-Tex jacket, you know, that's that. They go, oh, that's why. Um, yeah. and the Gore-Tex jacket, what it didn't have was a vapor barrier. Yeah. 
it had a water, you know, so, oh, um, yeah, yeah, there's a slide I like to show my students and, um, it's a bunch of kids playing in a plastic bag and, you know, it says you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't, you know, except on a very bad day of parenting, you wouldn't send your kids out to play in a plastic bag. And the next slide is a home that's shrunk wrap in plastic. And the question is, why do we why do, do you this? Do this? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. With that, and this, uh, you can tell me where to head on this, but it, with that, you know, so we've got disciplines like, say, Passive House, um, yeah. which, again, German-based originally, European-based. Um, and I think that it brings, I, I personally think, and not with a, a ton of knowledge on it, it brings good values um, to the sustainability of living. But I also know that it doesn't necessarily um, address building biology um, across materiality. And can you talk to that a bit? Like talk about sure. that a bit? Could you achieve passive house with natural materials? Yes, you can. Um, but um, so much of what um, has, you know, we've done a lot of things in the name of energy efficiency Mm-hmm. And jump to certain conclusions like uh, spray foam is God's gift to humanity. <laughs> and um, from a building biology standpoint, or just as a consultant, having seen at least one building where there was a little bit of a mistake in the spray and the home was uninhabitable and made someone sick, um, I, I'm in a campaign uh, an anti-foam campaign, and I, I really, really don't want to spend time in jail. So I hope that there's no um, foam executives listening to this broadcast, but I'll take my chances. But yeah, we don't have to name anybody, but just so that there, you know, people can be aware of, you know, doesn't mean they don't have to use it, just yeah. be educated. So how did buildings evolve? How did fashion evolve? How did food evolve? Um, buildings evolved slowly over a lot of time with small um climatically best based incremental change passed on in a tradition Mm -hmm. until whammo after world war ii suddenly all of everything changed the way we build changed the materials we got changed but i've been around long enough to see yesterday's newest best greatest invention uh, become tomorrow's embarrassment and just not mm-hmm. mentioned once all the class suits are paid off. I mean, we've all seen that yeah. um, in, in this industry. And, um, you know, I once called a manufacturer, this is a very North American thing, would never happen in Europe, but I called a manufacturer to find out a little more about the secret ingredients in a product. We, we have our ways um, after all these years of trying to find out what's in things. And um, the tech or the sales i first spoke to a sales rep said this is a great product it has been on the market for two weeks and we haven't had any problems yet fantastic yeah no so so there's (laughs) building building biology talks about history of use but they mean um you know generations not weeks maybe a few thousand years even (laughs) yeah Yeah. so i mean the same is true of clothing if you look at any um, native clothing people knew how to clothe themselves for their exact climate with the materials in a 50 mile radius or 10 mile or five mile radius because that's as far as you could go yeah 
You didn't and, wear a leopard skin if you weren't where there were leopards, you know, like. Yeah, <laughs> alligator shoes. Exactly. Uh, you had to be somewhere where there were alligators. Yeah. And, and I have heard, and maybe you can verify that if you change nothing, you'll be in fashion at least twice in your life. At least a minimum of <laughs> twice. Yeah. yeah. In fact, these days with the um, internet, you know, Instagram, all these kinds of things, you could probably just by pulling it out in the dark, be in fashion again, easily. Just, to, just mm -hmm. do it in the dark though, so that you don't know what the mix will be. <laughs> just <laughs> dig into the drawer and take something. <laughs> So back to um, what we were talking about, um, how things evolved in history and, and why probably we're in such, uh, having such poor shape in North America. My co-author, John Banta, is a mold specialist, and he does nothing but help people who have um, mold problems. And usually they found out about the mold problems in their homes because their homes have made them sick. And um, it's wonderful for me as an architect, you know, when we leave our buildings, they're spanking clean, photo ready. But 20 years down the line, what are the unintended consequences of the materials that we're using, that we're experimenting with, really, because there's no history of use? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, when there is no, you know, like whether it be spray foam or whatever, there's no long history of its usage to see what the um, the factors are. But there will be history around um, the what those chemicals can do that make things up. There is history around that. You know, there will, there will be in other products and in other places, I'm guessing. A little bit. So in the U.S., uh, there's... So, you know, arguably 84,000 man-made chemicals that are in uh, commercial use today. And uh, our um, Environmental Protection Agency developed the Toxic Control Substance Control Act in 1960s or so, or I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact date. It may have been much later, but they grandfathered in the first 64,000 chemicals. So there are... 64 we, that, that just arrived at the start. Yeah. And so slowly, you know, um, there's testing, they can test about five a year. So we figure it's going to take about 35,000 years or something before we know everything or 3,500 years. Yeah, so in 3,500 like years, we'll know the consequences of the chemicals we've created. So, you know, this is. Um, so is it easier then to, to, to go, okay, just loop back to where we started this conversation, which is, if these things are, if it's a study of nature and then the study of how we survive and live in nature, if it tells us certain things, then is it, is it not as easy as, but do you look back and go, okay, just get down to this much palette we do understand. And then if we can bring it back to this much palette that we do understand and then start working on the nuances from there out because we get the base right first. Mm -hmm. that, is that the aim? For me, it is when, when I'm especially working with someone who's uh, deeply uh, chemically injured or mold injured or electromagnetically injured. Um, there's a few materials that I know 
I've had a good history with. Sure. And the rest of it, you know, you're just doing the best you can with the information we have. And what I, the good thing is, it's usually good enough. Yeah, that, yeah, right. That's it. It's it's a good baseline to be at to start with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm mindful of um, going down rabbit holes too far, but I want the the audience to go down the rabbit holes. I want them to go down. But yeah, you know, we could do probably a hundred podcasts that would un, un, unearth certain pieces of it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's True. your books. There's your, you know, courses that you run. Um, and I think these are, you know, hugely valuable in, in the way that people can start their journey. And when we talk about people who are like, um, I think it was chemically sensitive was the words you used, this mm-hmm. high chemical sensitivity or this high sensitivity to things. It, the way I see it is, is, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that we end up with a layering effect, you know, we might be able to survive comfortably with one of these things and, and maybe not depending on the amount of it, but one of these mm-hmm. things. But what we've got is, is we've got, you know, a thousand of these things and not just in our home, but in our environment, whether it's in our sure. food or in the packaging or in our mobile phones or in our, you know, mouse mat, whatever it is, we've got thousands of these things. Um, and when we look at that, then we've got this layering effect and we're just seeing people's reactions to things growing and growing and growing, you know, more nut allergies, more like just allergens in, in general. Um, beyond the things that make life comfortable, which is like you were saying, like with plaster work, if it absorbs sound, we live in a, in a quieter, more um, easier environment, which settles us, which takes some of our nervous energy off high alert or off alert and allows more of our subconscious mind and our physical being to absorb what was designed to absorb really, you know, like, yes, we Mm -hmm. might've been worried about bears and tigers and stuff like that, but we weren't having a constant dripping water either. You know, we didn't have that. So Mm -hmm. I see that in in when I talk about the joy of like a space, you know, how how do you keep peeling it back so that it makes it joyful? Because the more joy you have, the better your mindset will be and the better your mindset will be, the better health you will carry. But this goes into the this goes into the materiality. What we're talking about is into the materiality of creating that space. Um, and I, I go, if there's yes, there's education that people can get. Is there things that um, they don't have to you know throw the baby out with the bathwater? Um, where do they get a start on it? And if they're not a professional that's working in the field of helping others, where do they get a start on it? How do they get to that? Yeah, um, the, the starting point is where somebody's at. I always tell people, if you're having a heart attack, don't go to a health spa. But if you just want to improve your health, don't go to a hospital. Don't yes. check into a hospital. <laughs> Great analogy. So, <laughs> so where is somebody on the spectrum? This is why um, my co-author, John Banta, and I have spent countless years writing down everything we know was you know and then so a lay person can read that book and say oh there's a lot involved here but and i know some things but i can't 
absorb all this, but here's my architect, my architect and my builder can understand this. So, so that's, that's our little um, contribution to how do you begin? How do you begin? So, um, you know, um, that's all I can say about that. You know, the lay person is not equipped to understand all of the technicalities that go into a building. And it's very daunting. And yet most lay people who are have become incredibly ill have had to um, tell their physicians how to treat them. They've had to, you know, they've had yeah. to take control. Yeah. So um, do, you, do you think with that, like it, it is people, and this is a part of a living in a nana environment, as we call it, like a nana state or whatever. Um, we have taken less responsibility because the state has taken responsibility for us or the government or whatever. And, you know, there's so many innovations and there's so many things that pour in that there's got to be a point where some governing body keeps an idea an eye on the ball you know um and then from that we we we're tasking them with our protection um but they're making decisions that they don't necessarily know the extent of as well you know it's a two-week test it's um Yes, it must be fine. Nobody's complained yet. Um, so, so what could possibly be wrong? Um, I see that. I see that. Um, we we are in that cycle, and what I suppose I want to do is is get to the point. So, we, you're talking about it with building, and then we get to the point of materiality with interiors as well. And you know, mm -hmm. what's that sofa like? What's that light bulb doing? What's that? And I know this is a rabbit hole. So, but what are all these other considerations? Um, I suppose my question would be, if you had to do one sum up of, for, for either a, a professional in this industry or for a lay person who's listening, what would be the first, say, three things that you would suggest they do to just get a, to, to start their journey of understanding, um, because they, this is going up globally, so just to start that journey of understanding, that won't overwhelm them, um, but will set them up for a good piece of further education. And one of them could be just reading your book, edition four, you know, like, mm. or recognising in themselves maybe what would be things that they might recognise that their environment is carrying certain toxicities. And I'll leave it with you. Yeah. If someone is um, wants to make, I'm not exactly answering your question because That's that was fine. a hard question, but if someone is in an existing home and they want to make improvements, um, we go into this in the book too. What are the top 10 things you could do? I'm not going to remember all of them. But, That's cool. But uh, there's a top yeah. 10 in your book. Yeah. Cool. That's enough. And, let's, let's and there's do that a top one. 10. There's the top 10 when you're building from scratch. And um, I know a lot of people okay. aren't going to like those top 10. They're not going to uh, want to do them. But. but they might be like the Gore-Tex jacket where they go, um, I don't want to do those things. However, if I do, um, then this is the outcome, you know, but the outcome isn't a two-week test. Yeah. The outcome's a life. And, you know, like we have this ability to live way beyond where we ever did before and the sense of age. Yeah. 
Um, mm -hmm. But aging sick is not where we want to be. We want to age with health. Yeah. Health is our greatest gift. Yeah. So with the top 10 things in your book for improvements and the top 10 things in your book for new builds, and we were saying that, um, you know, people might not like to go down this path, but with going down this path, they get an opportunity to create long-term health for them mm -hmm. and their families. Yeah. Why, when you said people maybe don't want that, why would you say they, well, they want that, but they don't want the effort of that? Is that what it is? I'm going to give you a really simple example. <laughs> cool. um, and it may not even apply to where you are, but we have this insane culture where we drive our smelly, fumy cars into our homes, you know, in the form of a, an attached garage. We have it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, it used to be outlawed when I was in... Uh, when I was young in Canada to have a door between your garage and your home. So anyone who's, board. yeah, you couldn't have a door between the two, you know, you could have an attached garage, but you couldn't get into the house. Now, now you can't, oh, yeah. but gotcha. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. popular demand, I guess. But um, when you think about it, it's uh, anyone who's, you know, when I was highly chemically sensitive myself, I could walk in the front door of a house blindfolded and say, yes, there's an attached garage by the way the house smelled, mm -hmm. period. Um, so, you know, one of the top 10 is don't attach the garage. And then, of course, we're very, we're very um, forgiving in our book. Then we go into, well, if you're going to attach a garage, here's 10 things you can do to keep the fumes out of your house. But it's that kind of thing as things that people may not want to do. They might not want to have that level of inconvenience. When you're renovating, the first thing to do for your health is triage. You know, if you've mm -hmm. got uh, leaky gas equipment or insane electromagnetics or that kind of thing. Uh, another thing uh, that we, you know, wall to wall carpeting, if you've ever mm -hmm. ripped it out, you can see all the dirt that's underneath it. Um, so you might think of some other surface that's easily cleanable. Um, and if you can't do that, then you might get a high quality vacuum that we would recommend. So it's layers and layers. Or you a, yeah, take like your solutions for every. Yeah. Take your shoes off before you come in the door. Um, but then, so say a house is under control and you say, make this environment even better. Turn the bedroom into a safe sanctuary. We spend. Uh, about a third of our life in there. Uh -huh. And the time we spend is when our body's repairing while we sleep. So at least, you know, start there, make that the healthiest space you can in your whole house. And it might be simple things, getting rid of um, synthetic beds, getting organic beds, getting organic bedding, taking care of the electromagnetics. You can shut it off at night, making a floor that's cleanable, getting rid of clutter, bringing in an air purifier, making more windows that open, you know, you name it, depends on your budget. So building biology, um, you know, kind of a, a, a last word about it is one of the precepts is that any change for the better is worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one less spoon of sugar. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, like any change. Will, have, will create a benefit. Any good change, yes. Yeah, any good change, <laughs> yes. Any positive change will create a benefit. Yeah. Mm. So, 
Mm. So as as some action steps for people, if they were to, obviously, your book, um, is there some YouTube resources, things like that, that um, you'd recommend? Is there anything like that? Any other digestible things that are simple? Uh, I'm sure there are many, and I haven't spent a lot of time on YouTube lately. I've been really busy writing a book, but um, I have from time to time, there's all kinds of healthy home blogs and some, uh, some of the building, go to the building biology website. There yes. are lots of resources on that site. And then you can go to the find an expert page too. look up some of those people. Some of them have um, really worthwhile blogs uh, or YouTubes. So mm -hmm. that's a whole, that's you know, people who understand this information uh, are all walks of life from um, medical practitioners to interior designers, to architects, to builders, to home inspectors, to, uh, you know. There's, there's a wide range of people. Yeah. Yeah. In, in that little marriage there of, um, you know, like if you're trying to, I wouldn't say build the perfect environment, but the be, to be build the most conscious environment that you could for yourself. I imagine that there's a, a journey of educating all the parts of the of the equation, yes. and um, it right through to the supply chain. You know, so can you get certain materials, or can you? How do you avoid certain materials? In doing that, um, obviously, people like yourself consult on this, um, mm -hmm. and can can you consult to somebody who say in Australia, as it I won't say as easily, as effectively as you can consult to somebody who is in, say, London or in, I don't know, Wisconsin, you know? Uh, well, um, you know, of course, in the U.S. and Canada, we understand the supply chain or used to before COVID. Uh, yeah, much really, better. in the olden days. But it, the key is it takes a team. And so if, if I have the privilege of working with a, a a good and interested architect and builder, they understand their supply chain. And builders are problem solvers, you've probably of noticed. If, if they understand what the mission is and why, then they can be right on board with suggestions. So, um, yes, of course, we work at, we, you know, we've worked in Europe and uh, yeah. different places as consultants and never gotten, to, especially those last couple of years, never gotten to be face-to-face uh, -face on the job. Once COVID's over, hey, if anyone wants me to come to Australia and look at the project. You're on your way, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We'll find a project here to work on, yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I think that's actually a really interesting thing. You know, like there is plenty of educational groups that uh, that do um, bring, you know, people in to speak on subjects and, and you know, maybe their masterclasses, things like that, and to, to find that co sort of like um expansion of the mind you know so that you're taking people and it and for i suppose educating them starting the education you're inspiring them to start the education process i think that's it you know i know when i met zara i was like oh really is this just all woo woo you know like this is just going to make my life harder um but so far it's just been fascinating that's wonderful. You know, it's, it's, it's like I go, 
we've got to do this. This um, and I think the pandemic has been a beautiful um, catalyst as well. Mm-hmm. That people have become aware of their homes. They've become aware of their health. Yep. They have suddenly started to value their health. Make them put a mask on and keep them inside for a few days, and um, suddenly they go, well, "We don't want this." And at that point, they've actually embraced the outdoors better again because mm-hmm. it, it got taken away from them. And so, I, I the new normal, as everybody says, can we get back to what it was? Hell no! Let's get further to what it should be let's come a step closer to where we can be as opposed to going back to where it was back to where it was as a journey that um had us where we where we ended up now so let's let's take a step forward and use the pandemic as a as a platform to yeah. step forward from your uh, mouth to god's ears yeah it's i, I it, it's a, such an opportunity such yeah, an opportunity it really is it really is. And one that's um, been a long time coming, I, I think. And in fact, you know, really, it's just been, it, it's a very, very, very big circle. You know, it started out pretty right. And then mass construction and stuff probably was the the need to house so many people with, you know, population growth and um, high density and, you know, less agrarian culture. Um, these things is, is what's changed. And in doing that, we've um, kind of done like we've done in so many spaces. We've shot ourselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, I, I, I spoke with a, a fabulous um, fashion designer, Elaine Kim, just recently on the podcast and in the pandemic. So she lives in Los Angeles and she lives in Laurel Canyon. Mm-hmm. And um, she... Her business is, you know, like making beautiful women's wear. And funnily enough, she's actually married to an architect, but she didn't tell me that until we were into the podcast a little bit, which was kind of fun. She um, was telling me she hired or, or leased an empty plot of land that was below her um, her garden and a whole lot of other um, plots of land or other blocks fall in on this place you know they, mm-hmm. they it borders them and she leased it and in there there's a a, a buckminster full of geodesic dome in there mm-hmm. and she has turned it into a permaculture garden mm-hmm. and that became her sanity whilst they you know while she was isolating herself from the world as such yes. not totally isolating but she has now got this permaculture garden in there and Wonderful. she's she's giving you know, um, it's a daily routine now, and she's learning it as she's going as well. She's only a year or so in, but she's learning it as she's going, and she's supplying vegetables and stuff because it's abundant, of course, to other people as well from it. And she's mm-hmm. saying how much it shifted has shifted her life. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that. How yeah. beautiful is that? You know, and I see this happening more and more and the pandemic has been the catalyst that's actually brought it to the forefront so yes so not all bad it's not not all bad there is a silver lining in everything you know and if we've got to spend more time in our homes and that makes us focus on building biology and that shifts that we shift it not just for us but we shift it for everybody and if we can shift it for everybody we make everybody's life just a little bit better 
And in making them a bit healthier, a bit better, we take stress off our medical systems, we take stress off our um, environmental systems, and we make the world the better place that we all want to be, you know. I, I heard a, a lovely thing years ago. It was, a, a, was something from a Buddhist saying, and it was like, if you had to cover the world in leather, how would you do this? And it, it was easy. Like the answer was easy. You would put leather on the soles of your feet. <laughs> yeah. That's the action we can take because we can't necessarily cover the world in leather. But That's to, the just, only action we can take. It, yeah. Exactly. And this is the same with building biology is what are the actions we can take. Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating. And we did. We scattered all over the place with that talk. It was, um, but there was so many lovely little bits in there um, that I think if it enlightens your th anybody's thinking, if it inspires them to look further, we're just going to make the, we're going to shift it. And, and the marriage between the built structure and the interiors of the built structure is so important as well so that that biology doesn't get, we can build the structure perfectly or, or well, but then if we fill it up with, um, you know, chemically-based uh, interiors, we've now just um, made a bag that wasn't the plastic bag. It's one that all that stuff's like and still inside it. We've made it toxic. We've got mm -hmm. to keep, we've got to stay true to the, to the path all yes. the way through. Yes. Mm. it's holistic yeah holistic I, I love that yeah yeah it's holistic it, it makes all the difference so I've got one last question and I ask this of a lot of people one last project you can't do another one this is it gotta hang your hat up can't shout from the rooftops anymore doesn't have to be a legacy either but what would you do one last project I think I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, 68 now. And, and you're, you're I, in that project. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have told this one client, when your project, when you walk in the home and you have a healthy home, I'm done. And by that time, the book will be published. Uh, you know, I've retired before and it hasn't. Um, you, you weren't very good at it. <laughs> I was not good at it, but I think I could learn to get good at it. And, you know, that... It's not a project that will be published because no, um, the public will never see this building. Yeah, right. So, so you know, it's a little late for legacy now. <laughs> well, no, I think you've actually probably created the legacy. That's the thing. You've already done it, but it is the project. You're in that project. Yeah. I, had a, I had a guest who said to me um, that uh, they, they, it was a project that would last them till the day they died. They, 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 they gave a project that would last forever because they don't ever want to stop. Mm. And I went, how cool is that? That's really fabulous as well. They're just like, we can just eat that one out. <laughs> Put me in a box at the end and you'll know I'm finished. Yeah, many great architects have gone that way. I think so. That's because it's a passion. And um, I think, again, like you say, with yours being you're in that project, it's... It's a passion, but it's a huge give. 
it's a huge give to others um, to be able to share the knowledge because you could just make yourself one place that was really fabulous for you and uh, just invite yeah. friends around. Yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> that can't happen. That can't happen. It's not the, it's not the journey. Paula, I have absolutely loved it. Um, and I, I, I want to do more. I want to dig into a certain little patch of what we could talk about. And maybe if listeners um, give us some hints on that, we could, uh, you know, if they, if they write into us and say, could you just talk about one of these aspects? That would be fun to do in the future. Something. Be that, happy to. That would yeah, be really I'd be happy fun. to do that. And it'd be fun to, um, to just see some of the legacy that you have created as well from other people who are interested in building biology if they want to write into us as well and they or are building biologists and they've got something to say about it i'd love to keep it as a continued conversation i'd love to talk to a couple of interior designers who yes. who are very you know like uh, in, in line or in tune with um how to take the right elements and put those together that would be great. I can. Um, I know can. some folks you might want to talk to. Also, the whole thing on electromagnetics. There are people who do nothing but that, and some of them would be wonderful Thank you. for your show. Brilliant. I'd love you to introduce me. I'd be ha so happy to do that. Thank you for what you're doing, Adrian. Um, uh, so fascinating. Really nice. Believe me, it's a journey. It's a, it's a gift to be able to do it, to be able to share it as well. Paula, thank you so much for being on Talk Design. I really, really, I feel like I've just scratched a tiny little surface. All right. I've got thumbs up, audience. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again. Thank you, too. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, let's say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will. <laughs>